Greetings and good morning, everyone. It is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful day. It is very warm. It's, do you all feel the humidity out here? But I know there's a breeze, and I'm grateful for the breeze. I'm grateful because we've been given another opportunity to shine our light and give God the glory. As we are here this morning, live, there are those of us that are pulling into the parking lot, but there are those that are watching from home. So let's let everybody know that we're here. Let's get our horns honking. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic, fantastic. So we're getting ready to open up in praise and worship, and let's get ready. Every praise is to our God. Put your hands together. Every praise. Every praise is to our God. Every word of worship with one accord every praise every praise is to our god sing hallelujah to our god glory hallelujah is to our god every praise every praise is to our is to our God every word of worship with one accord every praise every praise is to our God sing hallelujah to our God glory hallelujah is to our God every praise every praise is to our God. Every praise is to our God. Every word of worship with one accord. Every praise, every praise is to our God. Sing hallelujah to our God. Glory is to our God. Every praise, every praise is to our God. Every praise is to our God. Every word of worship with one accord. Every praise, every praise is to our God. Is to our God every word of worship with one accord. 
is to our God. Every praise is to our God. Every word of worship with one accord. Every praise, every praise, every praise, every praise, every praise, every praise is to our God. Every word of worship with one accord every praise 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 every Every praise, every praise is to our God. Woo! All right. Is everybody ready? We got a few more cars in the parking lot. Let's hear those horns a honking. All right. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. So we're going to continue in our worship to our Lord today. And I want you all to just kind of clear your minds, clear your hearts, and be ready to give worship to our Lord. Do you all love the Lord this morning? Honk your horns if you love the Lord. Wave your hands. I see hands waving. We're so grateful to Jesus who reigns on the throne. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you, oh my soul, rejoice. Take joy, my King, in all you hear. Let it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. You all remember this song? I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord, and I live. worship the Lord. Worship the Lord. We love you, Lord. You are perfect in all your ways. We worship you, Lord. Oh, our soul rejoices. Do we rejoice today? Do we rejoice? We want him to take joy and what he hears from us today, because we are his children. We are his children. our voices to worship to worship you oh my soul rejoice take joy my king in what you 
Let's start to dancing. We're getting ready to exalt the Lord. We're going to lift him up. We're going to give him praise. All right. Let's get to moving. Let's get to moving. Here we go. We exalt thee. We We thank you and praise you, God. Good morning. If you can't scream it, honk it. Good morning. There you go. Oh, my goodness. We just had a time of praise. I hope you joined in. If you could not find a way to praise God in that, we're going to have to help resuscitate you. 
But we thank God this morning that we have this opportunity to actually be here. We are so glad for those of you that have come out, those that have decided to come closer in. You can feel free to do that if you want. Those that are standing in your cars, you can feel free to do that as well. We are just glad that we're together and glad that we're able to praise God corporately and to hear his word as one. And so continue to thank God for this great weather and for you coming out. Continue to pray for us as we continue with, I'm going to call it our summer parking lot series. And so as we are able to do this, then we will. Today, we will be hearing from our brother and our elder, Minister Charles Wright. He'll be bringing God's word this morning. Um, but I wanted to remind you again, um, uh, just of the things that we do have, you know that we still have our prayer by Zoom um, every Thursday uh, uh, um, at, <clears throat> at noon. And so, you, I'm sorry, at 11. And so, um, just make sure that you're able to, to join us. We end at noon, but also just that you are continuing to pray for one another as we journey through this season, this crisis, this rough road. And God is still God. He's not forgotten about us. Um, he is still there and he is still working, um, his will out through you if you are allowing him to do that. So continue to pray for one another as we move forward. Also, do not forget next week we're having our, our, um, our fellowship, um, and our food. We will be having our service outside like we have here. We're praying for great weather just like now. But afterwards, we're asking you just to bring your lunch, bring something to be able to snack on, to eat, to have. We will not be providing anything ourselves, but we will have a time of just fellowship while we socially distance outside. So afterwards, just as we are here, we'll just have a time of food. So please join us next week. We're going to hear the word, and then we're going to get nourishment physically as well. So we look forward to that. Let me pray for us, and then we are going to have our brother come forward and give us God's word. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for this opportunity to be here this morning. Thank you, God, that we are under your banner, Lord, that we can still worship and praise you regardless of the location. Thank you for the great weather. Lord, thank you for the shade. Thank you for the cars. Thank you for all that we have. Thank you for all those who are serving, Lord, to keep all this technology together, oh, Lord, that, that will just help us, oh, God, um, just to do this. And so we are thankful. We are grateful. And we ask right now, Lord, that you would give wisdom and clarity, Lord, as we hear your word. Yes, I pray that our brother Charles would just speak, Lord, with passion. Lord, with persuasion, Lord, with precision, with purity, God, and with clarity of thought, Lord, as he challenges us with your word, I pray that our hearts would be ready to receive it. I pray that all those that can hear this sound, Lord, even if they're not in this parking lot, Lord, could hear your word and be transformed by it. I pray, God, today that we would see you more clearly, Lord, as that word is taught, my God, strongly. And so we thank you for this, and we pray indeed, Lord, that any that are coming here today, God, that are discouraged, that are down, Lord, that, that indeed you would encourage them, you would allow the word of God to strengthen who they are, to set the direction, and to focus their vision. And so we thank you, Lord, that we belong to you, and that we live under you together. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. Good morning, good morning, solid word. Good morning, good morning. I am excited, as always, to uh, share God's word with God's people. And uh, even uh, in these times when things don't look like we're used to them looking like, we praise God that uh, we still have the ability and the means to come together to fellowship to do this. Uh, and so uh, I am just so grateful and thankful, the praise and worship. Thank you, Sister Melanie, for that. And just uh, I'm excited. I'm on tiptoed anticipation for what I believe God has for me to share. And so definitely want to thank Pastor for uh, giving me this opportunity. Happy birthday. Yesterday was Pastor's birthday, so we want to say happy birthday to Pastor as well. <clears throat> That's right. And, uh, and obviously, uh, so thankful to uh, my wife, Karen, and to the girls for being patient with me. Y'all don't understand, when I'm, when I'm preparing to preach, I'm testing stuff out on them. I'm asking them questions. I'm trying to get some feedback. I'm asking them, does that make sense? Does it not make sense? And so I thank them, uh, you know, because th they help me out. 
And, uh, and so I'm so appreciative of their support and, uh, and just I wouldn't be able to do what God has called me to do without them in my life. And so I am grateful and thankful for them. Look, I, I want to uh, turn your attention in your Bibles, on your devices to the 15th chapter of John, <clears throat> John 15. And we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 6, and this is a very familiar passage of Scripture, Um, and hopefully uh, through the Lord's help, we can see it uh, again, maybe uh, fresh and anew, and some different perspectives and some different application for our lives. And I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version of the Bible, and there you will find these words, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word, the hearing of his word, and more importantly, the doing of his word. And just uh, for a few moments, I want us to think about, as far as a topic for this sermon, connected but not converted. Connected but not converted. And for the sermon, the aim today is that we would understand that if we want our lives to be transformed by Christ, then we must abide in him. Let's say a quick word of prayer before we get into the lesson this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity. We thank you, God, that you are on the throne, that even though every day brings some type of different, new, unfamiliar reality for us, it is not catching you off guard. You are not uh, trying to figure out what to do and how to do it, but you are God in control of everything. We thank you, God, that even in the midst of uncertainty, and even in the midst of this ambiguity and sometimes a lack of clarity on what tomorrow will hold and what it will bring, we thank you, God, that we are still in your presence right now to worship you, to praise you, to hear from you, God. And we believe that even though the storm waves may be crashing around us, when we are in your presence, peace is possible. And so, God, we ask that you would open our hearts, open our minds, allow us to hear your word. Do with it what only you can do, and that is make sure that it does not return to you void. God, as I always say, I always say this, I need you, God. I need you, I need you, I need you not to help me preach this message, but I need you to preach this message, God, so that it can do what only you can do with your word, and that is to change lives. All these things we ask in your son Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. I feel like one of those old Southern preachers. I got my, my, my rag up here, and if I get to hooping and, and going, y'all just come and yank my mic from me. Yeah. Look, as, as we move through this coronavirus pandemic, I, I've been blessed, as many of you guys are, and fortunate to have a job that I can actually do remotely. Right, I, I, I can uh, uh, basically go in maybe one day or two days a week, and then from the rest of the time, I'm able to work from home. And I'm able to do this, one, because of the nature of my job, but I'm also able to do this because of the internet. So when I'm working from home, I set up in the office, which is just down the hall from my bedroom. I, I get my coffee and maybe a little bit of breakfast, and then I open up my work laptop. I turn it on and I enter in my username and my password, and then I open up the wireless connections, right, because I need to get on to the internet. And when I open up that browser or that window, I see all of the options that are available. 
Some of my neighbors' uh, connections are there. Some of uh, folks I don't even know, I see some clever names on some of those connections, but I find ours, and I click on it, and I log in, and now I'm able to, right, after a few seconds, I'm able now to be connected to the internet. It gives me a message that says, you are now connected to the internet. So now I'm able to open up some browsers, I'm able to look at a few things, and everything seems initially very cool, right? I can open up some files on my hard drive, I can open up and, and, and search the web, but I don't have access yet to the shared files that are on my works network. I can't get to the programs and to the applications that belong to my employer yet. So even though I'm connected to the internet, I still don't have the connection that I need to be productive. I, I don't have the connection that I need to actually now begin to produce some results because I still need to log into what some of my IT folks know is called the VPN, the virtual private network. Now, I don't want to get too technical here. A VPN establishes a secure connection from one network to another network. And it's doing this over the internet. And in a real sense, right, the VPN connects my network to something that is acceptable to my employer's network. See, my job is telling me, and it's not a personal thing, it's just saying, look here, Charles, I know you think you've got some strong passwords, I know you think you've got some pretty good firewalls on your home network, uh, but that's not good enough just to protect, uh, that's good enough to protect your files, but it's not good enough to protect the integrity of the organization. They don't meet the company's standards. They don't provide enough security, so for me to truly be able to connect to their network, I have to adopt their protocols, right? I have to adopt their practices, their policies. If I want to be productive, and until I do so, right, I won't be able to access the resources. I won't be able to access the tools. I won't be able to access any of the things that I need that are required for me to do my work. <clears throat> and that work that has been assigned to me. Similarly, listen at me now, I'm not talking about the work we do from home. Similarly, some people are connected to a church. Some people may even be connected to church activities or even some church folks in their lives, but they haven't completely converted over. <laughs> and they haven't established that VPN connection with Christ. And in this text, I believe that Christ is giving us a warning of what will happen to those who are connected but not converted. Now, before we get started, uh, let's take a moment just to establish for a few minutes a little bit of a context for John 15. Now, for my astute Bible students, you will recognize and you'll recall that John 15 falls within the record of Jesus' last night with his disciples before he is crucified. And the events that are contained therein are very familiar to us, right? More specifically, if we kind of go back to chapter 13, Jesus is with the disciples. He's about to partake in the Passover meal. He first, though, washes his disciples' feet. Peter objects and says, look here, uh, Jesus, I'm not going to have none of that. You're not going to be washing my feet. Jesus says, Peter, if I don't do this right now, uh, uh, he says, well, first he says, look, you'll understand what I'm doing a little bit later on. Let me wash your feet, Peter. Peter says, no, Jesus, ain't no way I'm going to let you wash my feet. Then Jesus says, look, man, if you don't let me do this now, then you can have no part with me later. And I like this about Peter because when Peter is presented with some other facts, Peter said, well, then in that case, Jesus, don't just stop at my feet. Wash my head. Wash my hands. Get it all if that's what it's going to take for me to be a part of you. Now, when Jesus is done, right, he returns to the table and he explains to them that if the one that they call Lord and teacher is willing to gird up his loins, get on his knees and wash their dirty feet, then how much more so should they follow his example and wash each other's feet, be servants to one another, helping to meet the needs of each other? But then Jesus goes on and he reveals something to them. And he says, look, one of you guys, one of these guys that I just washed the feet of, one of you is going to betray me. Hmm. The one, look, one of you is going to, and you can imagine that this throws the disciples for a loop. 
They begin trying to figure out who could it be. They're asking Jesus, Jesus, is it me, Lord? Lord, is it I? Is it, is I am I the one who is going to betray you? Now, Jesus doesn't tell them who it is, but he tells them that the one that is going to betray him is going to be the one that he gives a morsel of bread to that he's dipped in some wine. Now, I don't know about you guys. I used to always kind of wonder about this because I was thinking they're all sitting at the table. Surely Jesus dipped it in front of everybody and they saw it when he hands it to Judas. But if you read very carefully, John tells us that Jesus passed the morsel to Judas, but none of the other disciples saw it happen. So when Judas leaves, because Jesus says that which you are about to do, do quickly, Judas leaves, the other disciples think, well, he must be just about to go do something, taking care of the money and things like that. So Jesus, he tells them that whoever I give the morsel to is the one who's going to betray me, but he doesn't put it on display. He just slides it to him, almost as if to say, Jude, I know, Judas. I'm not going to call you out right here, but I know what it is that you're about to do. Judas departs, and then when he departs, right, uh, Jesus begins to chop it up something serious with the remaining 11. Hmm. Now, I don't want to run through everything that he discusses, but I did want to show, or at least make the assertion that uh, the immediate context or what Jesus had in his mind when he talks and begins to download these nuggets to his disciples, right, is this betrayal of Judas. It is the thing that just happened. In other words, the one who had been with Jesus now for these past three years, the one who had walked with him and talked with him, who had watched him perform miracles, who had heard him teaching in public and in private, who had laughed with him, had cried with him, had did life with him, that one, right, <clears throat> who by all outward appearances was connected to Christ, had left Christ to betray him. Man. Now, with that backdrop in mind, let's turn to our text today, right? Let's, let's see where, uh, where this John 15 kind of fits in this context of Jesus having been portrayed. And as we do so, let's look at these three main images, a vine, a vine dresser, and some branches. Now, in verse 1, Jesus makes the declaration, I am the true vine. And we have to stop right there because in these five simple words, Jesus is saying three very important things that we will touch on very briefly, but I want us to at least walk away with these things. First, Jesus is saying that he is God. <laughs> I am the true vine is the final I am statement of Jesus that's recorded by John. John in all of John records seven I am statements made by Jesus. In John chapter 6, you'll find, I am the bread of life. In John chapter 8, you'll find, I am the light of the world. John chapter 10, you will find, I am the door and the gate. And you'll also find, I am the good shepherd. In John chapter 11, you'll find, I am the resurrection and the life. And in John 14, you will find, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And finally, here in John 15, we find, I am the true vine. Now, I know that you may look at this and say, <clears throat> while these statements are powerful, those are powerful statements, how is it that they are an assertion by Jesus of his deity? Because it would seem that instead of listing all of these things that Jesus am, that Jesus would have just thrown in there, and oh yeah, by the way, I am God too. Huh. But to our contemporary English speaking ears, that would have been perfect. That's exactly how we want that thing laid out. We, we want him to explicitly say to us, I am God. But Jesus was speaking to some Jewish boys and to these Greek-speaking Hebrews, every I am statement that Jesus made reverberated with the echoes of Moses' encounter with God in the book of Exodus, chapter 3, verse 14. When Moses asked who he should say sent him, and God responds and tells them, I am who I am sent you. Hmm. Now, You've got to get a little bit of Bible history here that these boys would have had what's called uh, the Septuagint, which is the Hebrew Bible translated into the Greek. So that term in the Greek would have been ego eimi hahon. Mm, stay with me. This, I'm not trying to get too deep here, but I just want you to see this. So ego eimi is, is, is equivalent to saying I myself am. 
me, myself, right? So this phrase, right, used by Jesus is also the same construction that's used in the Septuagint. Jesus knew what he was doing, the the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. So imagine, right, that every time that Jesus says, a go, a me, Jewish listeners are getting a mental image of Moses, the burning bush, and Yahweh. Do you see that? The phenomenon isn't unique, right, to these ancient listeners. For example, if I kept saying, I have a dream, I have a dream, I have a dream, you would be thinking of Martin Luther King, right? If I kept saying, you want to be starting something, you got to be starting something, you would be, at least your pre-saved self would have been thinking, Michael Jackson, If I were to keep saying, by any means necessary, by any means necessary, you would be thinking Malcolm X, or some of you might be thinking Denzel Washington as Malcolm X. But you you get my point here, right? Right, in each one of these, right, it, it not only does it create an image in your mind of the person who said it, but it also creates a context. It creates a little bit more context of the time, of the place, of the events, of the meaning, of the the emotion that's connected with that, right? And Jesus is doing the exact same thing here. He is using their knowledge of and the language of the scriptures to communicate on multiple levels with those that are listening. This is why the Pharisees and the Sadducees got so angry and wanted to kill Jesus, why they picked up stones and wanted to stone him to death for blasphemy, because he was equating himself with God. Hmm. So that's the first thing we see in just, I am the true vine. The second thing that we see Jesus is saying is that he is the only vine. The definite article, the, in front of the true vine indicates uh, specificity. It indicates peculiarity. It indicates particularity. And it indicates uniqueness. Jesus doesn't say that he is a vine. He doesn't say that he is one of several vines, all leading to the same place in the end. Jesus makes it very clear that he believes and he understands himself to be the only vine, the only way to God. And I know, I know, I know, I know that this sounds harsh to our contemporary ears. It is, it is hard for us, right, to, 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 to talk about something being the only way. It, it makes us uncomfortable. It makes us sound arrogant. It makes us sound intolerant to say that if you want to legitimately get to God, then you have to go through Jesus and Jesus alone. But, but again, the concept should not be all that foreign to us. Let me, let me show you what I mean. Kenny, Uh, If you want to legitimately drive a car, you've got to go through the BMV. If you want to legitimately get a bachelor's degree, you've got to go through an accredited college program. If you want to legitimately uh, be licensed to practice a trade, you've got to go through an apprenticeship program. If you want to legitimately perform surgery on somebody, you've got to go through an accredited medical school. And I know, listen, I know we all know some bootleg versions of all of these. At least I hope you don't know no bootleg surgeons. If you do, stop... Stop going to some bootleg surgeons. But I'm not talking about your cousin who is kind of like a shade tree mechanic and who grew up around cars and just kind of knows what to do. But I'm talking about being legitimate, being authentic, being bona fide. Yeah, right. There are others who are proclaiming a way or they're proclaiming multiple ways to access God. And to be fair, get this now, to be fair, some of those ways, they might make you feel better. They might even help you move through a troubled time in your life. But look here, that's not what the promise is. The promise is, is that only Jesus provides a legitimate, authentic, and bona fide access to God that can stand up to any scrutiny and answer the ultimate question of how sinful men and women can be reconciled to a holy God. God is not, uh, Jesus is not offering some self-help, get, uh, feel better paths. There's a lot of stuff that'll help you feel better. You can chant, I'm a good person every morning and feel better. But Jesus says, look, if, if all you want is to feel better, then you don't even know what's really wrong with you. 
Jesus comes and says, what's really wrong with you, really really the reason why you don't feel better is because you're disconnected from the one who created you, the one who gives you purpose and who gives you meaning. So believing that Jesus is the only way, again, it isn't me being arrogant. It isn't me being intolerant. Instead, it is me taking Jesus at his word. Look, look, if Jesus himself had said that there are many vines, then I would believe that there are many vines because Jesus said so. But I believe that Jesus said there is only one vine and only one way and that he is that vine. He is that way. So we see that he has uh, indicated that he is God. We see that he says that he is the only vine. Thirdly, what Jesus is saying here in I am the true vine, he's saying that there was a false vine. Hmm. The adjective true lets us know, right, that Jesus is making a distinction between him and a false vine. But this isn't just a general statement contrasting two things, one that is genuine and one that is fake, right? But to the disciples, again, right, remember, these disciples who are steeped in the books of the law, they're steeped in the prophets and in the poets, they would have picked up on what Jesus was saying. Because when Jesus says that he is the true vine, their minds would have gone to Psalm 80 and 8. You don't have to turn there, but you'll find these words. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove it out the nations and planted it. Mm-mm. Let me, if they would have thought about or their minds would have gone to Isaiah 5 and 1, where it says, let me sing for my beloved, my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. Their minds would have gone to Ezekiel 19 and 10, where it says, your mother was like a vine in a vineyard planted by the water, fruitful and full of branches by reason of abundant water. And in each of these Old Testament verses, the vine that is being spoken of is Israel. (laughs) Stay with me, stay with me, stay with me. But these Old Testament writers go on to describe, right, how the vine that God brought out of Egypt, the vine that God loved and he planted on a fertile hill next to abundant waters, streams of waters, that vine eventually turned its back on God. And as a result, the vine, Israel, ended up withering. It ended up dying. It ended up having its fruit stolen and left barren and fruitless. Israel, listen now, was to be God's vine in the world, producing righteous fruit for all the world to see. And as a result, drawing the nations ultimately to God. They were to be, right, uh, the tangible approachable, visible representation of what it looks like to live a life that is submitted to the kingship of God and establishing God's kingdom on his earth. But instead, they sought after foreign gods. They sought after foreign practices and they abandoned the one who planted them. They abandoned the one who cultivated them. And as a result, God removed the hedges of protection that he had placed around them, allowing the surrounding nations to take them into exile as his judgment came upon them. Can I just, uh, just for a few minutes, I know it's hot, but let me just, just a public service announcement. You will hear some people talk about, uh, man, the, the Old Testament God is angry. He's so vengeful. He's so wrathful. And, and, and the New Testament God is much more patient and much more loving. Mm. I, I would assert that those people have not read their Bibles. Read 1 Kings and 2 Kings, First and 2 Kings. We don't talk a lot about those books, but what you will see in First and 2 Kings is a litany of kings for the northern and southern kingdoms of Israel and Judah who came along and as the scripture says, and did evil in the sight of the Lord. And even though the Lord was sending them prophets to warn them, you better be careful. You better get back to the word. You better get back to the law. You better start being obedient. God was patient. He went for centuries before he finally said, all right, y'all ain't going to listen to me. I bet y'all will listen to these Babylonians and these Assyrians when they come in and lead you off into exile. So God has been extremely patient with the vine that he originally planted. But now, Hey, now Jesus, 
standing on the eve of his crucifixion, a crucifixion, by the way, that would provide the means for the forgiveness of the sins of the world, Jesus now declares that he is the true vine. Oh, y'all got to get in the room with Jesus here. Uh, he is the one, right? He is producing righteous fruit. He is the one for all the world to see. He is the one who will draw all men to himself. He is the one who is the tangible, approachable, visible representation of what it looks like to live a life submitted to the kingship of God. And he's establishing God's kingdom on earth. He is the true vine succeeding where Israel failed. And as you can see, right, some of these messages embedded in the simple statement of I am the true vine is lost a little bit on our English ears because we lose a little bit of what's in the original language and we don't know the scriptures as well as these Hebrew boys did, but we see that Christ is communicating a lot more than just some mental picture that means you need to stay close to me. But he's telling them that where Israel failed, I will succeed. There are many talking about God, but I'm the only way to God. And the reason I'm the only way to God is because I am God. Hmm. So Jesus continues and he states, right, that his father is the vine dresser. Jesus introduces God into this illustration, and in doing so, he does two things. First, he doubles down on his deity by declaring that God is his father. And this is a really big deal as well. And it's another little subtle thing, because remember, when Jesus is interacting with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and he asks them, who is your father? Well, they say Abraham. Actually, all good Jewish men and women would say Abraham is our father. God says, yeah, uh, before Abraham was, I am. God is my father, right? And so that's a big deal, right? Secondly, he describes God's role, and he says that God is the vine dresser. Again, it's lost on us. <laughs> I'm laughing because I've planted me a little garden in my backyard, and I, I, now I've called, I call myself a farmer. My, my, my daughters roll their eyes, especially my youngest, Hannah. She just can't hardly stand it, which makes me do it even more. But I'm, always, I'm talking about now I'm a farmer. I, I feed America's families. That's what I always tell them. And they say, well, you, who are you feeding? I'm like, well, you guys, you're American. You're my family. I'm feeding American families, and you're going to eat these green beans and these cucumbers when they come due. But the truth of the matter is, is all I really did is just put some seeds in the ground watered them and, and the sun is coming down, but I don't really know what it means to be a farmer. In the same sense, we know what vineyards are and we know what vines are, but we don't really know what it means to be a vine dresser, right? And this image of God being a vine dresser is very consistent with how God is described in the Old Testament. I've read a couple of verses and passages and you see, right, the role that God plays in relation to Israel as the vine. He is the one who is in control over the vine. He trains it. He cultivates it. He waters it. I like this part. He keeps pests away from it that might devour it, right? But probably the most important role of the vine dresser is the pruning of the vine. Now, pruning is the process of cutting, of clipping and removing dead and dying branches from the vine, right? Not because it makes the vine look pretty and not because, ooh, those dead ones get on my nerves, but it's all about promoting the production of fruit. Look here, I did not plant a cucumber seeds in the ground because I just wanted to plant cucumbers. I want fruit from that, right? I want some cucumbers, and so the same way God is the vine dresser, he didn't just plant Israel in the original sense as a vine just to be a vine, but he says, I'm looking for some fruit. And as such, I'm going to be pruning those things that are hindering fruit production from the lives of the branches in the vine. And Jesus paints the picture of God as an active vine dresser. I like that. I'll be honest, I'm a little sometimey with my farming. Sometimes if it's too hot, I know that they're thirsty, but I don't feel like going to get the water hose and hooking it up. And why, you know, it's just, it's, if y'all can see it, y'all be like, oh, come on, Charles, you can spit on that little bit of garden. But God is an active vine dresser. He's active in the removing and the pruning of the branches. And we see here, right, that whether a branch is pruned or removed is directly correlated to the fruit that branch produces. 
So Jesus tells us that he is the true vine. He tells us that God is the vine dresser, which leaves now only the branches. And in verse five, it is specifically the disciples. And more broadly, it is all of those who claim to be connected to Christ, the true vine, who are the branches. Right after explaining that God is the vine dresser, that God removes the branches that don't produce fruit and prunes the branches that are producing fruit, Jesus lets them know, right? He lets them know that they are already clean. They are already clean because uh, of the word that uh, he has taught over them these last three years. And in verses four through seven, if you still have your Bibles open, look at it. Jesus stresses that they abide in him. In fact, the word appears seven times in just these four verses. And there is nothing super spiritual about abiding. I know sometimes we say, well, I want, to, I want the deeper things. I want to know what do I need to do? Do I need, do I need to tarry? Do I need to? Look here, abiding just means to stay, to remain, to be fixed in a state, to continue in a place, to accept without objection. And what Christ tells us is that the branches who do that, who remain, who stay, who are fixed in a state, who continue in place, who continue to accept without objection, those branches, the ones that abide in Jesus like that, are able to produce fruit. And thus they avoid being removed by the vine dresser. Hmm. I believe that Jesus is stressing abiding in him because of what happened earlier that night. Back in John chapter 13, when Judas left to betray him. See, Judas had an image in his mind of what a Messiah should be saying and what a Messiah should be doing. And like many during that day, Judas probably was looking for a Messiah who would lead a revolution. But when the Messiah showed up, talking about overthrowing the rule of sin and death and not the Roman government, Judas rejected him. Hmm. When, when Jesus presented a message, you got to get this now, when Jesus presented a message that was different than what Judas's preconceptions and notions were, Judas didn't, ex- didn't adjust his thinking to align with Jesus. He didn't change his expectations of what the Messiah would be based on what Jesus was manifesting and teaching and showing. Judas instead held fast to his own ideas. He held fast to his own opinions. He held fast to his own convictions and his own conclusions. And he concluded at the end that it wasn't that he was in error. Something was wrong with Jesus. And he left Jesus to betray him. Jesus is telling the disciples, look here, guys, it is not enough for you to have hung out with me a little bit. It's not enough for you to have heard my teaching. It's not enough for you to have witnessed my miracles or maybe even had my miracles performed on you. But you have to abide in me. When things aren't going your way, you have to stay with me. You, when you can't discern what I'm doing, you have to remain stable in me. When the pressures of the world are closing in on you, you have to be fixed on me. When my precepts run counter to what popular opinion says is right and proper, you have to believe me over the philosophies of the world. And lastly, I want to look at what it means to bear fruit. We've talked about Jesus as the true vine. We've talked about God as the vine dresser and even us as the branches. But there's a critical piece still left to discuss, and that is bearing fruit. And especially since fruit bearing or the bearing of fruit, producing fruit, fruit production, however you want to say it, is how God Jesus tells us, determines which branches to prune and which to discard. Jesus makes it clear that to bear fruit, two things must occur. First, 
we must abide in him. I can't say it enough. Jesus said it seven times in those three verses. I'm going to keep saying it too. We must abide in him, which results in him abiding in us. And secondly, to produce fruit, God must prune us. (laughs) So what is this fruit, first of all? What is the fruit? Some of you are maybe thinking of Galatians 5 and 22, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, right? Long-suffering. <sighs> Some of you may be thinking it's just good behavior in general. Maybe it's good, doing good deeds, do, doing good things. Maybe it's obedience, doing what God said. <clears throat> and if you're thinking of those things, I would say that the answer to that is yes and no. <laughs> The answer is yes, in that fruit in our lives, right, should manifest itself in all of those areas. We should be exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit. We should be doing good deeds. We should be obedient. We should have good behavior. But the answer could also be no if these so-called good deeds and these so-called good behavior and all of this obedience is not born from the Holy Spirit. Hmm. Recall what Jesus says in Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23. When he says, look, he says, in that day, that day is the day of judgment. He says, look, many people are going to come to me. And when they come to me, they're going to say, look here, Jesus. <laughs> look here, I was busy for you, Jesus. I, I, was, I was preaching in your name. I was teaching in your name. I was, look, even some of them say I was performing miracles in your name, doing some good things in your name, Jesus. Surely, this is what the implication is, surely, I can kick it with you in eternity in paradise. Jesus says, and I will look at them and tell them to depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I knew you not. Man, a little transparency, that's the verse, or those are the verses that scared me straight, so to speak, that made me think, you know what, Charles, you, you know a lot of churchies a lot of churchianity, but do you know the Christ who built the church? And to be honest, I didn't like the answers I came back with. And so we see, right, in Matthew 7, 21 through 23, we see there is something more going on here than just outward actions. We got to get this sometimes, because sometimes as Christians, right, we get so concerned with producing fruit, did I, did I go do this? Did I do this? Have I done that? Have I sent this there? Did I go there? Did I, all these things, right? And we feel pretty good. If I can check off a couple of things, yeah, I went to Bible study. Yeah, I'm in the parking lot. It's hot as sin out here. But guess what, God? I was there listening to your word. Check me off, right? And don't get me wrong. We, I appreciate you being here, but this is what we've got to get to, right? Uh, that, that we are so concerned with, with kind of doing right and wrong. And part of me thinks, and this is just my own opinion, that that might be why Jesus didn't give the disciples a list. Why he didn't say, this is the fruit you'll be able to produce if you abide in me, because he knew that if he gave us a list, we would stop listening to him and we would get busy on the list. But what we should be concerned with is abiding in Christ, being converted by his spirit and then producing fruit that is of the spirit, however it manifests itself. This is why Jesus stresses abiding. He doesn't stress producing. He doesn't repeat producing, 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 produce. He repeats abide, abide, abide. He says, look, focus on abiding in me, focus on staying in me, focus on remaining in me. And then while you're focused on me, something sneaky is going to happen. My spirit is going to get in you and you're going to start producing fruit. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) But it doesn't stop there. Because as we abide in Christ and are converted by the Holy Spirit and begin producing fruit that is of the Spirit, God comes along as the vine dresser and he then begins to prune us so that we can then produce more fruit. In other words, God takes his spiritual blades and begins to cut some stuff out of our lives. He begins to cut some people out. He begins to cut some places out. 
begins to cut some habits out. He begins to cut some ways of thinking out, some situations, maybe even some jobs, maybe even some cities and towns. And, and these things need to be removed so that we can produce more fruit. And sometimes, actually a lot of times, God's pruning hurts. Because typically, the things that are keeping us from producing fruit for him are the things that we are hanging on to tightly. In conclusion, God as the vine dresser uses life circumstances to do the pruning. And look, life circumstances, they aren't, they aren't unique to Christians. Think about the coronavirus, right? It's happening to everybody. It's a life circumstance. Whether you believe in Christ or don't believe in Christ, you're dealing with this in some form or fashion. Hmm. But God sends these life uh, circumstances, allows these life circumstances to happen, and as they wash over the vine, <laughs> something interesting happens. As it washes over the branches, right, it's going to have one of two effects. When it washes over the branches, it might build up your spiritual muscles, Kenny. You might find out, right, that as life begins to wash against you and you begin to lean more into Christ, you might find out that your faith is getting strengthened. You might find out that your hope is deepening some. You may find out that you're learning to be more patient. You might find out that you're learning what it means to love more sincerely. You might be learning how to be more gentle. Uh, look, people may look at you now as you're going through these life situations and you're exhibiting more faith, you're exhibiting more patience, more love, more gentleness, more kindness, and they can't wrap their minds around how is it that when this thing washes up against you, you seem to come out on the other side stronger, better, more fit for what's next. But as life washes up on some branches, <laughs> it causes some branches to conclude that God must not have been who he said he was. It causes some people to say, wait a minute, I don't think I can serve a God that would allow this, that, and the next to happen. And so I need to find me something else. It might make them begin to question whether or not Christ said that he could do what he said he could really do. And so what you see, right, this isn't some arbitrary thing where God is going in and he's saying, I don't like that branch. Let me just break it off. But the, the true character and the nature of the branch is being exposed as God just allows life to come and to beat against the vine. That's what happened with the Israelites. Look, God could have set the Israelites on a fertile hill as a vine and then moved all other nations away so that there'd be no influences. But he didn't. He put his vine right in the midst of some of the godless, most pagan groups of folks that you could ever imagine. And he told them, look, don't you go over there and don't you let them over here. You are my vine. But what did they do? Ah, what they doing over there? I think we want us a, a, an idol. We want us this. We want to do what they're doing. And just as life started happening, they started revealing their character. So, Solid word. I got this last sentence, and then y'all can roll y'all's windows up, let that air conditioning go, get in your cars, and do whatever you want to do. If you want to know if you are abiding in Christ, ask yourself this simple, but I think it's a profound question. And I don't mean ask it here, because you ask it here, then you're going to get to visit and you're going to forget. I'm talking about when you're by yourself. Ask yourself this question. Does Christ change how you think about life, or does life change how you think about Christ. Let me say it again. Does Christ change how you think about life or does life change how you think about Christ? Amen? Amen. Let's uh, close out with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful and thankful for the truth of your word. We thank you, God that you are the vine dresser. We thank you, God, that Jesus is the true vine. And we thank you, God, that you have communicated to us 
that the way that we as branches can produce fruit is by abiding in Christ. God, help us take a really good look at ourselves to determine if we are just connected but have not yet been converted. God, we ask that you would help us to abide in Christ so that then he may abide in us and we may produce fruit to a dying world that desperately needs to see you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, amen. Amen. Look, I, I don't, I don't want to take for granted that everybody who is here knows the Lord, and I know it's hot, and I know that there's a lot going on, but uh, if there is anybody here who is questioning whether or not they are abiding in Christ, if there is anybody here who is trying to figure out, man, is life circumstances come up on me, and God the vine dresser looks over his vine, is he pruning me? or is he casting me aside? What I would say is if you would, just come see one of the elders, one of the deacons. You can come see me. You can see uh, some of the leaders that are here at the church, and we can have a conversation with you, and we can help you get to a place where you can know that you know that you know uh, that Christ abides in you, and you abide in him. Amen? Look here, everybody, you enjoy the rest of the day. Don't be out trying to cut grass. And my wife always tells me I pick the hottest day of the week to get out and try to do some yard work. I tell you one thing I will not be doing today. I will not be out in my farm today. It's pretty hot. But look here, you guys enjoy the rest of the day. God bless you. Thank you for coming out. Mike, give us some uh, traveling music, buddy. <laughs> You've been listening to a broadcast of Solid Word Bible Church located at 4374 West 52nd Street, Indianapolis, Indiana. And if you made the decision to give your life to Christ, would you please share it with us so we can rejoice with you and also pray for you. Again, thank you for joining us and may God continue to keep you until next time.